You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Welcome to Vineyard Community Church. My name is Rick Francis. I'm the pastor here. God bless you, Pastor. Linda is trying to get us going in this series. Uh, If you haven't picked up one of these, uh, there should be some more copies out at the information booth. Get one on your way out. Uh, This is a period of time in church, kind of in our church liturgy in the vineyard, we're so high church. You know, we just follow the the seasons, don't we? Yeah. Uh, But this is that season between the resurrection and and the day of Pentecost. And in the church, it's known as Eastertide. Uh, It's the seven Sundays, beginning with the resurrection, concluding with the uh, day of Pentecost. So as we we look at this, it's just amazing. I know you're going to keep hearing this, but I'm, I'm just always amazed. How do you think the disciples heard Jesus the three years before the cross? And how do you think the disciples heard Jesus from the resurrection on? Wow. We've looked at the dynamic, uh, the ladies go into the tomb and and they're there and they they recognize that Jesus has been raised. They have the angel, they have the the announcement, they go off. They are absolutely so certain and so wonderfully assured of everything that Jesus has done and that he is alive and they can't convince the guys that walked with him for three years the truth. So what's it going to be like to try to convince someone who doesn't even know who Jesus is the truth? And here's, here's his disciples, and, and the ladies come, and they make the announcement, and they, and they don't get it. Peter and John race off, look at the tomb. They come back. They're scratching their head. They don't know what this means. Very interesting. Then we've got the, today's lesson. Today we're looking at Luke chapter 24. And I've got it in, uh, I've jumped all the way to slide seven, Sue, just so you're aware. Later that day, later that Sunday, two of Jesus' disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a journey of about seven miles They were in the midst of a discussion about all the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them in their journey. They were unaware that it was Jesus walking alongside them, for God had prevented them from recognizing him. Okay, we get one of the names in the text that tells us that it's Cleopas, and that you know they're they're talking and they're and they're going on and they they're even talking about some of the reports. They haven't seen Jesus yet but they've heard some of those that have seen Jesus and what their testimony is. And so the the whole world of of the followers of Jesus who thought everything went down, the Messiah that they thought he was had just been deflated with his death. And now it's like these little puffs of of errors trying to pump back up and they're starting to get a, a clue, a picture. What's going on? But they're still dejected. They're still discouraged. They're still not in a place of joy yet because they haven't personally seen the resurrected Jesus. So Jesus comes and, 
you know, this is, this is an interesting study. Why is it that nobody recognizes Jesus? Why is it that, that they, don't, they don't see him? Well, sometimes they're saying that <laughs> some of the studies are talking about what happens to the brain and that the brain tells the eyes what they're seeing. And it was like, hmm, interesting study. And so if, if in your understanding, in your head, you believe that Jesus has died and that he's in the tomb and maybe somebody stole his body, but, but you're still convinced that as far as you know, everyone who gets crucified and officially is dead after three days, they're still dead. And so I wonder if he came right in front of them and he was in full recognize and they couldn't, they couldn't recognize him because they mentally are thinking that Jesus is dead. I don't know if I buy that theory, but it was an interesting theory. I thought, well, that, that's interesting. I think if I, if I saw a dead person and he still looked like he looked like the last time I saw him, or fairly in some kind of recent form, I think I would recognize him. But they didn't. Now, I'm, I'm with friends, and I've seen friends that I haven't seen since high school. And it's really interesting as I see them. You know, they've lost their hair. I can't believe that. You know? <laughs> and some of them have put on like 30, 40, 50 pounds, you know, and, and their face is a little different. But when they speak, I know that voice. I hear that and I recognize that. And it's like if, if, if Jesus was so marred from, from the crucifixion, I think they would have recognized all, all the disfiguration of someone who's been crucified. Uh, he engages them in conversation for seven miles. I think they would recognize his voice if they've been listening to him for three years. Don't you think they would, oh, that sounds like Jesus. Especially when he started opening up the scriptures and their hearts start to become strangely warm, if we like John Wesley uh, type of, or King James, heart burned within, you know. Uh, I think the New Living Translation has, and their heart was strangely warm, you know, as, as Jesus was talking. So, so you, have, you have his voice, you have his appearance, Maybe he had the Jedi hood over and it was so there that they couldn't see in the shadows of his face, you know, and so they, they couldn't see who. Seven miles, though. Seven miles. They, they didn't recognize him. There has to be something almost supernatural in the inability to realize it's Jesus until the time of revelation. And it seems like, you know, we have forces that are constantly working against us, trying to keep us from seeing Jesus. We, we have the kingdom of darkness and, and the enemy and all his emissaries that are out there trying to clog us with disbelief and doubt and confusion and fear and worry and shame and condemnation to where we don't even want to lift our head up in his presence. So when we're like this, it's really hard to see who's over here when we've got all this shame in our eyes. So we got a lot of things that are working against us that's trying to keep us from seeing Jesus. But here it's almost supernatural because they recognize him. 
in the breaking of the bread. Hmm. Now, do you think Jesus had a unique way of breaking bread? I mean, you know, is, is there something like a secret handshake that you have so you know, you know who's, who's in the group and all this kind of stuff? Because of, is there something about how he breaks bread that's just... I don't really think it was how he broke bread. I think it was as he was breaking the bread, the revelation came. They saw him. And there's something amazing about how Jesus breaks bread, and especially when he shares it with his disciples. And we're going to break bread in a little bit and, and experience that as well. But seeing Jesus, seeing him as he is, seeing him for who he is, that sounds simple, doesn't it? Sure does. And yet I find that in my 62 years of life, it hasn't always been simple. I, I, I remember as a little child in Sunday school seeing Jesus as the good shepherd who carries the little lammies on his shoulder. And he goes out and finds the one that got lost or is in the thicket or you know, is hurt, harmed, or whatever, and, or maybe just flat out rebellious. But he goes and gets and he brings it back to the, to the flock. And I remember when I was hitting about 14, 15, that Jesus just didn't fit in my world. It was like my world had morphed, and it's like, how does this sweet little Jesus who carries the, care, the little lammies, how does he fit, you know, in the midst of um, my role model of James Bond and all these kind of things, you know, and it was just how to be cool and all that, and... and the pursuit of the world, and, and all of a sudden, you know, I, I start to see another side of Jesus. I see the Son of God who comes and gives his life for me as a ransom. And, and all of a sudden, I, for the first time, I realized the cross and, and how gruesome the cross was and how great the suffering of Jesus was, but that he did it because he loved me. And, and now my, my view from a childhood is morphing into adolescence. And my adolescence understanding of who, who God is, who Jesus is, is beginning to shape, change. And then as I get into young adulthood, it's like, I need a bigger Jesus. That Jesus was good. Helped me understand, you know, what it is to serve but man, at this point, when you get married, as a good friend of mine used to say, you want to get married? Prepare to die. You know, it's like, oh, okay, okay. And I realized that as, as I enter into this level, there is something about Jesus I need to understand because there is sacrifice. I mean, Marriage is the crucible that, that God uses to deal with the last ounce of selfishness and self-sitteredness and all of that. And he just starts taking the mortar and the pedestal and, he, and he's... Anybody getting grounded today? We're going to see if, how fine we can get this. You know, and... But after Bible college, after seminary, after learning my Greek and my Hebrew after learning scripture and all that kind of stuff, I find that within all of that knowledge, I can still be shielded from the true Jesus. 
I can still not see him for as he truly is. We need God to see God. We need God to come to us if we're ever going to see God for how he truly is. And so Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the representative of the Godhead that has come to the earth to help us to see and to see clearly who God is, to see clearly who Jesus is. (laughs) Jesus told us that he's going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit was going to come to us and he was going to bring to remembrance all that Jesus said and did. It's like, wow, that's cool. Like that. It's amazing when he does that. Have you ever noticed the timing of the Lord on those things? I find that usually when, when I get reminded of what Jesus said and did, it's right after I've violated something that he said and did. It's kind of like, oh, okay. After being very rude at the service station, God speaks. Don't you love it when he speaks? Just love it when God speaks. Everybody love to hear the voice of the Lord. We love that. Just, oh, Lord, speak, 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 speak. But I find usually the clearest that he speaks to me is right after I violated something that he wants to bring just a a loving word of correction. And so he goes back and he says, are you serious? Do you really want to hear me? Do you want to hear and are you going to obey when I speak to you? And I remember the day that I said yes. Think that one through a time or two before you say yes. Because when you say yes, he'll speak. And he did. He said, I want you to turn the car around. I want you to go back to the service station. And I want you to ask for forgiveness for the way you treated and the way you spoke. And I thought, oh, Jesus, I love you. Send me to Africa. I will go. I will be your suffering servant to Vietnam. Wherever you want me to go, Lord, I'll go. China. But you don't want me to go back to the 76 gas station, do you? Really? Seriously? Oh, yeah. I find that the clearest I ever hear God is when I've got to go do something because of what I did. Hmm. Know his voice. As you obey what you heard, the last thing he said, it prepares you for the next word that he's going to speak. I find a lot of times that all of a sudden my filter, my ears are kind of filled with wax and I can't hear the Lord as well as I, as I want to hear the Lord. And, and when I really get quiet and I get before the Holy Spirit, he kind of reminds me, that there's still something on the table that I haven't taken action on. Like the last time he spoke, oh, I see some heads. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. And so when, when we go back and it's almost like, you know, parliamentary procedure and we deal with unfinished business and, and we go through that and we bring that all caught up and we've repented and we've gone and we've, we've made restitution, we've done whatever we needed to do to make that right in our hearts and with him, then all of a sudden we've got a clear channel to hear again. Now, if you haven't heard God, 
and right now the enemy's just jumping all over you, it may not be because you've been disobedient. Okay, don't, don't, don't take that. It may not be because there's unfinished business. Could be another issue. The reasons why we don't hear the Lord is very complex. But these are some of the simple things that I want to share with you when I, when I look at how do we see Jesus with the eyes so that we see him as he truly is. Holy Spirit's the number one agent to help us to see him. And so we want to see him. We want to see him clearly. We don't want to go through life and walk seven miles and not realize that it was Jesus. I'm going to jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You'll have a couple, couple verses that'll be up on the, on the slides. But I'm going to look at a few more than, than what I've actually prepared to put up there. Here Paul's talking, and he's saying in verse 9, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Hmm. But, here's the contrast. God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Okay? If you've got problems with the Holy Spirit, you're going to have problems seeing Jesus. Okay? All our fears of the Holy Spirit, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful just a side tangent, a little exhortation. The Lord has just really kind of been showing me all the different things that I can gain without striving just by inheritance. The inheritance of what Jesus has done, the inheritance of, of what others who have gone before me have done. And you've heard me use the expression that, you know, as, as I finish this chapter of life, I'm, I'm praying that whatever level I'm able to attain in the kingdom, my ceiling becomes the floor for the next generation. So that when that baton is passed and the next generation, it's already in the race and running very, very well. I'm so excited about this next generation. It's amazing. But we want them to receive through inheritance the things that we've had to fight for. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. And one of the things that we've had to fight for is to be able to love and embrace the person of the Holy Spirit oh, yeah. in all his fullness. And for many of us, that has been a fight. That has been a sacrifice. For me, I had to go against some of my, my denominational prejudice as a young person because the prejudice against the Holy Spirit was that the Holy Spirit belonged in the Pentecostal church, which is on the other side of the railroad tracks, which represented that they're a class below us. You know, if we're middle class, then they're lower middle class or they're lower class. They're the uneducated. They're the ones that get emotional and just go berserk and crazy and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of the stuff that I caught. No one taught that, but that's just the stuff that I picked up. 
So much so that I was afraid of the Holy Spirit because when the Holy Spirit comes and manifests, he might make me to be a fruit loop. And I didn't want to be a fruit loop in the kingdom. Man, I worked hard to get my degrees and to look dignified and sophisticated and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't want to look undignified. And so I was afraid of what would happen when the Holy Spirit came. And then the Holy Spirit came. And and they decided I had to get cut out of the denomination because I was a cancer that was going to infect. And that's true. I was. the, The kingdom is infectious. The Holy Spirit will, he's, he's, a, living, he's a living being. He, he will just change everything. And so when I, when I look at that, I just, wow. Some of us lost our jobs. Nat, you should never have to lose your job. Matter of fact, already they say to me, what happened to me in the Free Methodist Church, if I had that experience today, I would not be kicked out of the denomination. That's, in 20 some years, it's already changed that much. But this is what I'm saying. We've had to contend for some things. And as we receive those through inheritance, then we get to go for more. Because as we see, it's the, it's the spirit of God that reveals God. Okay, so let me go back to reading the scripture. Okay. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. So if you want to see Jesus for all that he truly is, you have to receive the Spirit of God. Because it is the Spirit of God that reveals to us the thoughts of God. It reveals who God is. And so as the Holy Spirit comes in, and as we continue to make strides, I think of the things that that I've had to go through to get to the place where I'm at, and now I see... Do you realize back in the old days... I know I got a lot of young people here. Back in the old days, we had an expression called tarry in prayer. And some people would tarry before the Lord seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they would have to tarry for days and weeks and months before they would receive what the Holy Spirit... Now, I don't know anybody that tarries. It's almost like when, when somebody wants to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it just seems to... And I'm thinking, why is that? Well, a lot of it has to do with what goes up here. We got so many filters. We got so many different, uh, different ways in which we try to categorize and, and try to contain and control God. that oftentimes these are the things that are the huge restrictors. That's why as, as, as fellow believers, we can believe with our head all sorts of wonderful theological truths about who Jesus is and about who God is, but the way in which we live is another thing because we usually live from our heart. We live from where, where our heart is. And if our heart is filled with fear, 
Just listen to yourself talk. I, I know I had to catch myself. I'd be talking to somebody and say, yeah, I'm afraid that that's not going to, you know, I'm afraid that line's going to close, so I'm going to, I'm going to, well, I'm afraid that, you know, Golden State's not going to win. I, I'm afraid, da, 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 you know, and so all of a sudden, I was amazed at how often I'm afraid was in my vocabulary. I, I'm afraid not to tithe. Huh? Fear shouldn't be the motivation of our giving, okay? It's interesting how, how we, we get a fear-based relationship with God instead of a love-based relationship with God. And God wants us to know a love-based relationship with him because he is love. And if we're going to relate to love, it's nice if we have some love in us and we're starting to reciprocate. We're starting to give expression to that. So here we go. What God has freely given us. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to understand everything he's freely given us. When you get into Ephesians and you get into the chapter one and you start understanding the blessings and the heavenly realms that are ours, and I'm just thinking, oh, Lord. And, and you get these prophetic folks that say, you know, well, the Lord showed me, blah, blah, blah. And they start talking. And, and sometimes I've heard them speak of, you know, in, in, a person's, in a person's kind of blessing bin that was supposed to be imported to earth that never got there. All these incredible things were just up there lying around because they've never been learned how to be appropriated down here. And I say, oh, Lord, I want to know everything that's been freely given to me. Everything that's the inheritances. And I got to confess, I, in, in listening to some of these guys that are walking in levels and intimacy that I long to walk in, and as I hear them walk and I realize that they're, they're fourth, fifth, sixth generation in the kingdom of God, of men who have, have pursued God, not just a nominal Christianity, but pioneers that have just pursued pressing into what the kingdom has. And then all of a sudden I see their lives and I see all the stuff that they've just received through inheritances of their great-great-grandfather, the great-grandfather, the grandfather, the father, you know, coming down to them and all of that flow. And I just thought, Lord, I am jealous. I am really jealous some of these guys have received so much and my dad and mom got saved the same time I did. And, and right. So there is a sense in which I receive something of a, of a blessing from my father. But we're still kind of like first generation in the kingdom. And the Holy Spirit said, do you not know that this is yours too? I thought, how? How do I get this? What do I do? He says, anything that we have given to someone else through the line of theirs, when you honor them, you position yourself to be able to receive the inheritances that have been passed down that line. I thought, ooh, honor is extremely important in the kingdom. And so as we learned how to honor, instead of think critically, you know, that's, that's kind of how we do education here in America. We, we, we develop critical thinkers. 
And so for forever, I could, I could tell you why I didn't agree with this stream in the kingdom and why I didn't agree with this stream in the kingdom because, you know, theologically, our distinctives are just a little more, instead of saying, oh Lord, I want to honor this stream so that I can receive from you everything that you want to bless me and pass on from this stream to me. And I go both, I go both realms. I'll go to the ones that don't even like the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I call them the fighting fundamentalist. You know, they, they know their Bible, but they know it because they want to beat you up with it and they want to win all the arguments with what they know of the scripture. But you know, I want to receive their passion for the word. I want to position myself where I honor them and I say, Lord, I thank you that whatever their motives are, they have a passion for your word that I don't see all the time in other streams of the body of Christ. They don't have that passion. <laughs> and then another stream that they probably wouldn't appreciate, you know, is, is, is some of the, the extreme Pentecostals. Wow. But when we honor them and everything in between, we're able to receive inheritances from those streams. That's a good word right there. Oh, yes. you, you pray about that, talk to Jesus about that, see what he says to you about that, and see if you can't get some inheritance. I think it'd be good. I think it'd be really, really good. Uh, that's what I've been doing. And I'm just saying, Lord, I, I want more. I want more. And so I've, I've learned that the way of the kingdom is humility and honor. And when we humble ourselves and we honor, our, uh, we honor those that have gone before, we're able to receive. Biblically, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. You inherit what the prophet has to come to give and to, to display. So honor. I don't care if the prophet's theology is all whacked out, but if, he, if, if he's a man that hears from God or a woman that hears from God and they're able to release something, praise the Lord. You have the Holy Spirit who will help you so you don't get, I don't know what the word is, tainted, whatever, get the... You just receive what the Lord wants to bring through that line for you at that moment in time and space, okay? I haven't had to go to be a Baptist fighting Fundy or an extreme Pentecostal, although I'm trying to be a little more extreme than I used to be. But, you know, I'm still me, but I want to receive everything that, that the Spirit of God wants to release through all the different ways huh, that he's manifested in the earth. Okay, where am I? Back at the ranch. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I think what the enemy loves to do is he loves to get us caught in all this 
verbiage that's going there and, and we miss out on really the essence of what he's talking about. The essence is that the only way you know the spiritual realm is through the spirit. And the way we find out what God's thinking is by his spirit. And as we come in Christ, we're so identified with Jesus that we die on the cross with the Lord Jesus. We're buried in the grave with the Lord Jesus. We're resurrected on the third day with the Lord Jesus. We, we come and we know something of his ascension as he ascends to heaven. It says where we sit in the heavenly realms, we're to have that fellowship with him. And that's where all these inheritance flow from. And then he sends his spirit to the earth. And now as the Holy Spirit is moving upon the earth and as he comes within us and he reveals Jesus to us and he manifests Jesus to us, now we have the spirit of the living God living within us. And I always like to think that if Paul says that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, I think of the heart as the holy of holies. I think that is, you know, to me, that's, this is all the temple of the Holy Spirit. But I think the heart is like, man, this is the holy of the holies. This is, this is it. And so as he's there, guess what we have inside of us? We have the response that David's crying out in Psalm 139. Precious concerning me are your thoughts, O Lord, how vast the sum of them. If I were to number them, they would outnumber the grains of sand upon the earth. And it's like, okay, so Rick, are you telling me that Jesus has all these thoughts about me? Anybody want to know what Jesus is thinking about you? Anybody not want to know what Jesus is thinking about you? Because yeah? for, for, for those of us that haven't, haven't experienced the incredible goodness of the Lord and we don't know where we stand in Christ, finding out what the Father thinks about us could be really scary. Because most of our picture in our head is that he's a judge and he's angry and he's upset or he's a father who's exasperated with us because we keep spilling the milk and metaphorically, whatever that means. And so you got that kind of exasperation with God and you don't realize, no, the psalmist, when he's writing that, he's talking about how fearfully and wonderfully he was made. And, and, and in the context of that, he, it's how precious to God, his thoughts are about us that he wants to share with us. He wants to share those precious thoughts. You're so precious. He wants to share those thoughts with you. The only way you can know them is by the Spirit. As the Spirit reveals to your heart what the Father thinks and feels about you, you're going to be in for a battle. One, the head will say, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there, you go there, he's going to, you're going to find he loves everybody else, but he's really upset with you. Or the enemy will be fighting and say, oh, he doesn't feel that about you. <sighs> Remember when you did, there, there's no way he could feel that way about you. <sighs> you haven't and you just start filling in the blanks, and all of a sudden, he will challenge every beautiful, loving, gracious, precious thought that bubbles up from his spirit to your spirit, and you start, you have an opportunity to either believe the truth or believe the one who's saying, that can't be you. Have you had those times when, when the spirit's bubbling something up? Man, I get thoughts 
And they come completely out of another arena. And I'm thinking about this, and all of a sudden I get ambushed with a loving thought from God. And it's like, whoa. And when it happens, I've got to say, that's the Lord. (laughs) That's too good to be my thought. I don't think that deeply. I don't think that profoundly. That is amazing. And you take it and you embrace it and you meditate on it. You receive it and let the precious good thoughts that he has about you continue to manifest in your life. Okay? Now he's wanting to share something unique for you today. And somewhere between the time we started church and the time it ends, you should have it. A lot of us are going to get new thoughts about how precious we are to him because we have received his spirit and we begin to honor his spirit and we humble ourselves so that his spirit can reveal to us all the incredible things. But as we come to the table of the Lord today and receive the elements that represent his body and his blood, very powerful expression, a means of grace one of the sacraments that we still hold so so deeply to. This is a time for him to release something in us as we ingest it. I I still can't get away from the teaching that I heard recently, you know, about how, how when Adam and Eve took the apple and ate and they ingested, then the whole sin dynamic started. But how Jesus who knew no sin, became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And as we ingest Jesus, that's why he grossed everybody out in John 6, says, if you don't eat my flesh, you have no part of me. You know, As we eat the body, the blood of Jesus, as we ingest him, righteousness is released. Oh, And so this is a great time as you're receiving the body and the blood of Jesus to just receive what he's saying to you, about you, for you. And for some of you, you've been walking with him so long, he may not even say anything so much directly to you as you just feel his peace and his love and his joy. And he may start speaking about what your next assignment is. Okay? So Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your faithfulness. And we would see Jesus in all his glory. Jesus, you said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so it's a cry to see the Father, is the cry to see you, is the cry to embrace you, Holy Spirit, and to humble ourselves and to position ourselves in a way to honor the sacrificial death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus. And I pray in these days, Lord, my prayer is that we as the church would have special enabling grace to hear and to see and to receive in our hearts uh, what you're saying to the church today. So let your kingdom be manifest. We come. We come because we're hungry. We come because we've tasted and seen that you are good and we can't get enough of you, Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit, serve up an incredible, 
an incredible union with yourself, with Jesus, and with the Father. For we ask it in his name. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.